Awesome. It is 530. Uh, So if we could get started, uh, Mr. Clerk, if you could please call the roll. Absolutely. Councilor Falco? Present. Councilor Marks? Present. Chairman Bears? Present. Your meeting, sir. Thank you. I'm going to read the notice now. Pursuant to Governor Baker's March 12th order suspending certain provisions of the open meeting law, General Law Chapter 30A, Section 18, and the Governor's March 15th, 2020 order imposing a strict limitation on the number of people that may gather in one place, this meeting of the Medford City Council Subcommittee on Elderly and Housing Affairs will begin to be conducted via remote participation to the greatest extent possible. Specific information and the general guidelines for remote participation by members of the public and or parties with the right and or requirement to attend this meeting can be found on the City of Medford website at medfordma.org. For this meeting, members of the public who wish to listen or watch the meeting may do so by accessing the meeting link contained herein. No in-person attendance of members of the public will be permitted. Every effort will be made to ensure that the public can adequately access this meeting and access the proceedings in real time by technological means. In the event that we are unable to do so, despite best efforts, we will post on the City of Medford or Medford Community Media website an audio or video recording, transcript, or other comprehensive record of proceedings as soon as possible after the meeting. There will be a meeting of the Medford City Council Subcommittee on Elderly and Housing Affairs via remote access utilizing utilizing Zoom meeting on Thursday, February 11, 2021 at 5.30 p.m., the purpose of this meeting is to discuss updates for the solicitor on paper 20-300, proposals for city action to ensure housing stability during the COVID-19 emergency, uh, paper 20-302 regarding a local eviction moratorium during the COVID-19 emergency, and potential local actions regarding housing stability. The committee has invited Community Development Director Alicia Hunt, Chief of Staff Dave Rodriguez, and City Solicitor uh, Kimberly Scanlon to attend. For further information, aids, and accommodations, contact the city clerk at 781-33-2425. Thanks, everybody. I feel like I should have that memorized by now. Um, the, uh, this is uh, the meeting of the Subcommittee on Elderly and Housing Affairs. Um, we are discussing uh, mainly today two items. One is an update for the city administration on legal discussions around the mayor implementing a local eviction moratorium. And the other is an update on a housing stability task force. We received a document from Solicitor Scanlon outlining uh, the potential framework for an ordinance for a housing stability task force. Um, Seeing that we have uh, Chief of Staff Rodriguez here, I'd like to start with the eviction moratorium, if that's fine with my colleagues. All right. So um, at our last meeting of this subcommittee, we discussed this paper um, and had pretty extensive discussions around uh, the legal requirements and barriers to implementing a local eviction moratorium by executive order in Medford. And this is a meeting to reconvene on that issue and get an update from the mayor's office regarding progress in those discussions and whether or not the mayor plans to implement a local eviction moratorium. So I will unmute Chief of Staff Rodriguez to give us that update. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, good evening to everybody. Uh, When we last spoke at the committee meeting, the uh, the eviction moratorium, the federal eviction moratorium had been extended beyond the end of the year deadline to the end of January. Um, And it's been extended until the end of March. 
so we are very encouraged by that, um, by that fact, as well as the fact that the, the moratorium itself, the eviction ban at the federal level, has been uh, proposed to be extended much longer into the fall uh, by the American Rescue Plan, which was pre presented, which is in discussion, um, which was presented by the president, is in discussion and before Congress now. Um, it's our understanding that the courts are not issuing executions for possession as long as this ban is in effect, which is extremely encouraging. You need that document in order to forcibly evict anyone um, in Massachusetts. Uh, so we are continually having conversations. We're analyzing the policy. We're seeing the, the, the legal issue itself is whether or not such an order would constitute a regulatory taking, uh, which could expose the city to enormous liability. Um, we'd have to compensate that landlord for that taking. Um, and this is an untested area of law. It creates, it exposes a lot of tensions between the laws that the mayor is, the mayor and the Board of Health have used to do uh, emergency orders uh, in response to the pandemic. Um, there have been SJC case kind of on the tertiary of these issues. Uh, we're constantly talking with uh, Solicitor Scanlon and other folks to try to analyze these issues to make sure that we're on the right side of the law and that we're achieving the public policy purpose, which is to keep people in their homes. Um, so we are uh, encouraged by the federal ban being extended and we think that's uh, that's gonna be extended back into, the, into September. Um, in conversations that we had with um, Alicia Hunt earlier today, um, the very great suggestion was made to um, for us to step up our education efforts, uh, for us to be able to uh, let tenants know of their, let landlords and tenants know of their rights as it relates to these, these kind of complicated and prickly landlord-tenant issues that come up all the time. Uh, so we want people to have those resources. We want them to be educated. Uh, we're going to be having some more internal conversations about how to get information out um, to the general public as quickly as possible. That information is on our website. Uh, it's just a matter of getting it out and making sure people know that it's available on the website and that they can go to any number of resources, CHAPA, ABCD, the Attorney General's Office, uh, DHCD for Irma Relief for Landlords and Landlords and home Homeowners. Uh, so we, we are taking this, uh, we are keeping an eye on this issue. Um, and we wanna make sure that, that everybody's covered and that any, any approach we take is, is balanced across the needs of tenants, landlords, homeowners, uh, as well as the, the general public at large. Okay, I, I have a few questions, but I want to invite my fellow counselors to uh, ask any questions or make any comments before I do. Jack, I'm all set. If you want to go with your questions, that's fine with me. Okay, um, you know, it just, it seems to me a little bit, you know, we were hoping, it seemed to me that from the last meeting, you were really trying to work through the legal questions. It seems to me like those questions are still kind of unanswered. Have you made any progress as to, uh, you know, answering the, the questions you've posed and, and hopefully allowing something like this to go forward? Or is it still basically in the same place it was last time we talked? It's kind of in the same place because the answer to the question would, would have to happen through a court case. Uh, the, uh, it would have to be a ch through, through a challenge. It would have to be litigated. Um, and I don't know if the policy would, would, would first of all, withstand that through the injunctive process or um, that's, that would be a question for, for Kim. Um, but because the policy itself is being achieved through the, through the federal eviction ban, uh, through the ban at the federal level, we feel like we have the time to let, that, to let the policy and the, the legal question develop a little bit more to see if there is a case that may come out that may be instructive um, to see that if, you know, if there are other elements or other resources we're able to provide in order to keep these folks in their homes. Okay, I think I'm gonna split that into two pieces because I do wanna come back to the federal moratorium and its effectiveness. Um, but, you know, 
in your communications with, uh, have you had communications with the other communities surrounding us who have implemented similar orders through the mayor and the uh, board of health? And, you know, why have they implemented them, but we are holding back? So I've, I've personally had conversations with Somerville. We reached out to Malden. Uh, we received no reply, which is very strange for us uh, to not receive a, a reply from our neighbor. Somerville pretty much said, come and get us. Come and sue us over it. Uh, that was, uh, I, I won't say who I spoke to there, uh, but I was a senior member of their COVID response team. They said, pretty much come get us on it. So they're, they're, they're ready to face the legal challenge head on. We're not ready to do that uh, quite yet, as long as the, the federal ban is in effect. Okay, I, I have spoken to some folks at Malden, so hopefully I can help uh, connect them with you. Um, Please, yeah. You know, separately, uh, well, not necessarily separately, but the other piece of this is, you know, we're saying that the federal moratorium is effective. And I think we actually know that the federal moratorium has some loopholes in it. It seems to be like you're saying that the mass, the housing court is taking a different approach here. Is, is that a state, is the state housing court not issuing these orders? Um, and according, that, yeah, according to the trial court, they're not issuing any executions for possession as long as the, mor the federal moratorium is in effect. We've reached out to uh, constables in the community, to the sheriff's office, which are the two statutory entities which are empowered to perform forcible emissions in Massachusetts, as well as public warehouse eviction movers, which are the only people who can actually physically move items out and store those items following a forcible eviction um, to see how many they're actually doing and for what reasons. The only, based upon our research, the only evictions that are happening in Medford are for non-payment non of rent, so for public safety related issues. Um, and those were, were happening at the Housing Authority which would not be affected by any order that we would put in place. Um, so uh, I, I see Gary Klein with his hands up. Do my fellow counselors have any questions at this point before I recognize Mr. Klein? Okay, uh, Gary Klein, name and address for the record, please. <laughs> my name is uh, Gary Klein. I am a Medford resident, 24 Sagamore Avenue in Medford. I'm also um, director of Greater Boston Legal Services of the COVID Eviction Legal Help Project, which is a state-funded project intended to help tenants who uh, are facing eviction. Um, I am appearing tonight not in my work capacity, but in my capacity as a, as a resident of Medford. But I do have special knowledge of how the eviction system works. And I wanted to address some of the statements I heard um, about the CDC moratorium. Um, I do want to say uh, unequivocally that the CDC moratorium is not protecting tenants in a meaningful way from eviction. And there are largely three reasons for that. The first one is that the moratorium, many people don't understand this, but the moratorium is not self-effectuating. Um, what that means is that people have to figure out that in order to get the benefit of the moratorium, they need to file uh, a declaration it says they're entitled to its benefits, they need to file that and serve it on their landlord. And I would say only a small percentage of tenants um, get the advice they need to recognize the importance of doing that. Um, but even when they do it, there's a couple of things that landlords are doing to um, continue the eviction process involving uh, tenants who have served and filed the moratorium. One is that they are, many landlords are alleging cause for eviction um, other than non-payment of rent which as um, Mr. Rodriguez pointed out, is a, is a basis to circumvent the whole moratorium process. And then 
Third, landlords have figured out that courts in Massachusetts will entertain a contest about the validity of the moratorium document. So when the, the uh, tenant finds that they can file and serve the, the uh, moratorium declaration, uh, tenants are, uh, I'm sorry, landlords are uh, insisting that the uh, tenant is not entitled to the benefit of the moratorium, that their problems are not COVID related, or that they're not using all of their income, um, uh, all of their available income to contribute towards the rent, uh, or that they're, uh, for some reason or another, some of their expenses are inappropriate. And so what's going on in courts is that evictions are being processed. Um, there are certainly uh, executions being ordered on evictions in Massachusetts um, for all three of those reasons. And in addition, it's important to know that many people who are facing eviction in these difficult times, um, when their landlords are allowed to move eviction processes through the courts, um, give up. And so they agree to move out for one reason or another um, instead of um, staying in place uh, and getting the benefit of the moratorium. So I don't think there's anything about the moratorium that is uh, changed from the, the CDC um, moratorium issued in the Trump administration. The extension of the Biden administration is for the same moratorium with the same uh, limitations and loopholes. And I haven't heard any plan to strengthen the moratorium if it goes uh, past March 31st um, through September. So that, that I think is an important issue for consideration. The reason that towns are uh, issuing um, city and townwide moratoriums is precisely because the federal moratorium has these important loopholes. Um, second, I wanted to say that I um, uh, get a report on a weekly basis of new eviction filings. And um, I don't spend a ton of time reviewing specifically for Medford evictions, but every week there are a couple of eviction cases filed. Um, I am aware there are at least 12 and maybe more cases pending in the housing court or in district court um, for eviction that are moving through the system. None of them are stopped by the moratorium. Um, third, I wanna comment on education efforts. Um, I don't think education efforts are a workable solution to this problem. I don't see any harm in offering education to tenants and landlords, um, but I think the reality is there's an awful lot of, um, of outreach and education going on already. And one more, uh, one more um, effort through the city of Medford is not gonna uh, reach the people that need to be reached. Um, and then last, I wanna just briefly talk about the consequences of letting people um, uh, go through the eviction process, even if there's no execution entered, and even if they're not forcibly put out of their homes. Um, first, the stress of, uh, of, of an eviction process on top of the existence of um, uh, COVID fears and actual COVID for some uh, tenants facing eviction, it, it's horrific. It, it's, uh, even if people believe the moratorium protects them, um, the stress of not knowing uh, whether or not um, they're going to be evicted uh, is, a, is a very real factor in a lot of tenants' lives. At, at the same time, um, uh, you know, there are people who are making that decision that because their landlord has filed a case, even if they think they might get the benefit of the moratorium, they're just not able to, to manage the stress and pressure and they walk away. And third, it's, it's a terrible winter. I mean, we're 
we're in the midst of one of the worst winters I can remember, certainly the worst one from 2015. It's just the wrong time for the city of Medford to be allowing eviction cases to go forward, uh, for allowing people to be put out on the street. Um, and if, if it weren't enough to, to consider the stress on tenants, I think it's important to know that uh, evictions absolutely increase the risk of infections. The shelter system is overloaded and it's unsafe. Um, so the idea that people are gonna find alternative housing at shelters, I think is, is, uh, is wrong. And secondly, even when people have an alternative, like moving in with relatives, expanding the size of households in the midst of COVID is, is a bad move for public health reasons. And it is in fact, the very reason why the, the CDC moratorium was put in place in the, in the first place. So I, I feel strongly that Medford ought to step up as Malden and Cambridge and Somerville and several other towns across Massachusetts have done, protected citizens. Um, there's no evidence that I'm aware of that any town has faced a large judgment or is even facing a significant lawsuit um, based on a, a town or, or citywide moratorium. And I think it's a, a poor reason not to protect uh, Medford residents in these circumstances. And I thank you very much for letting me speak. Thank you, Mr. Klein. Um, do my fellow counselors have any questions for Mr. Klein or any comments at this point? I just want to, and we're with, and Mr. Klein's comments were, were extremely helpful and points extremely well taken. I just want to make one quick distinction is that even under any orders or any powers that the mayor's office has or the city of Medford generally has, we couldn't preclude someone from filing an, uh, an action inside the housing court or the trial court for to the summary process complaint. That's well beyond the powers of, of chapter 111 for us to be able to do so. So the kind of the, the, the universe of the discussion was, can we prevent a forcible eviction after that case has been, after judgment has been filed uh, from happening? And that's kind of the, that's the universe of the question, the narrow answer, the narrow, that very narrow sort of avenue that, we, that we've been looking at in, in um, researching. So it's a, it's a point very well taken. Like, like Mr. Klein, I, I have unfortunately a lot of experience through the, through the eviction process um, on the ground level. Um, and it's, it's, it's a heartbreaking process that you never want to see ever. Um, but it's uh, unfortunately one that the court would order. So even if the CDC orders were in place, and it, it's very troubling to hear that landlords are circumventing the non-payment reason in going for cause and then adjudicating that, uh, once that court order is issued, um, the tension that would exist was the, the mayor and the Board of Health's power to issue an order under Chapter 111 and emergency powers versus the court's power to issue that order. So that tension is, is kind of the universe that we're looking at um, in terms of uh, in terms of this new question that, that you know Kim and I have we've spent several hours kind of banging our heads together uh, trying to figure this out, talking to other folks, talking to colleagues, talking to, to folks on the ground uh, to try to figure it out. I will say this is that the number one policy objective is to keep people in their homes. And to do so through the resources that we've been that we've made available through I see Daniel Evans is on the, is on the call through issuers and OCD and CPC, uh, the money that was allocated um, with the approval of the city council to ABCD in order to get the injection of funds uh, to keep folks there uh, has been super important and a really great partnership across city government to make to make happen. So I think we all want the same thing. It's just a matter of how we get there and how we can achieve that goal um, in the, the least. Um, seismic way possible, I think is probably the best way to put it. I, I, I tend, oh, sorry, Councillor Falco. Uh, thank you, Councillor Bears. Uh, and uh, 
I have a quick question, and um, in, I was having problems with my volume the first time uh, Dave Rodriguez was speaking. But Dave, if I just may come out and ask, uh, am I correct in saying that that as long as there is a federal moratorium in place, the the administration is probably not going to take any action in issuing an executive order? We're going to keep a close eye on it. I can't, I, I can't say definitively yes or no. We're going to keep a very close eye on it and continue making calls to make sure that, that, that people people are staying in their homes. So I don't want to go too far out of my, over my skis and say a definitive yes or no. I will say definitively we are going to keep a close eye on this throughout the entire time. Thank you. Yeah, I think – sorry, yes, Councillor Marks. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, I appreciate everyone that's on uh, the call tonight. Um, you know, I, I think one aspect, and, and I appreciate uh, Mr. Klein and his uh, response. Uh, however, I do believe a Know Your Rights campaign uh, in this community would assist in getting the message out, uh, whether that's going to stop evictions or whether it helps, who knows. But I, I, I think knowledge is power. So I, I would uh, definitely... Uh, think that's something that we should move uh, forward to. And I know there's been, I was on the housing meeting that Alicia ran uh, last week, I believe it was. And that was one of the topics of discussion uh, to have some type of Know Your Rights campaign uh, so we can get the message out to residents. Uh, the second portion is uh, along with uh, uh, Chief of Staff just mentioned about the rental assistance. And we just had a meeting with ABCD and um, um, uh, what's that other organization in Malden? Um, housing Families. Housing Families. And uh, they, they explained to us that there are a number of families that uh, are ineligible uh, for participation uh, that could be facing eviction. And uh, I think that's something, uh, some low-lying fruit that we can take a look at and maybe expand eligibility requirements uh, as one way of assisting. Um, and that's something that I think uh, Mr. Chairman, maybe we can make part of our discussions, uh, looking at what the current eligibility requirements are and see if we can tweak that uh, to accept more families in. I, I hate to see families turned away uh, that are in a need. Um, and uh, I think that's one aspect. Um, the, the other question I had, and this may be a question uh, for Mr. Klein. Um, for, first, he, he, did, he made a statement and I'm not sure uh, I, I think it was in regards to the shelter system being unsafe. And, um, you know, I, I'm involved in the shelter system on a daily basis. And I can tell you firsthand, uh, the Massachusetts shelter system is not unsafe, in my opinion. Um, it houses over 5,000 families, thousands of individuals. And, um, you know, like any organization, it is a work in progress, but it's not an unsafe system. Um, Ideally, it's not the best place to be, but it's definitely not an unsafe system. But my question to Mr. Klein, uh, if he could, is um, does Malden, Cambridge, Somerville have a, 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 a similar ordinance or does it vary from city to city? And if so, um, how have they um, been able to get around the loopholes that you refer to in the, the federal moratorium? Uh, which uh, I guess is cause and validity. How are they able to get around that? So, 
So um, thank you for those comments. And, and I don't mean to disparage the shelter system. It, it, it provides an essential function across Massachusetts. And I recognize that many people are housed there. I, do, I don't back away from my point though, that it is very hard to get into the shelter system. It's mostly limited to people with children. And there are many people who um, don't have access to that um, system. And uh, when the, the shelters are as crowded as they are, I do think there is increased COVID risk. Although I, I agree with you, I should have sh uh, stopped short of saying they were unsafe. Um, so having said that. Um, just so you know, our shelter providers uh, were among the first uh, people to get uh, COVID injections, as well as families. We're in the process right now of uh, handing out vaccinations to every family within the shelter system. So the, the shelters will probably be one of the safer areas, to be quite honest with you, uh, that you know that we have. Thank you for sharing that, and and I think that's that's laudable that people are getting vaccinated. Um, so to answer the other question about the uh, um, community moratoriums, I think the main reason they're significantly stronger than the CDC moratorium is that they don't require the tenant to go out and figure out how to navigate the moratorium process. They apply to everyone across the city and uh, they, they don't have as many contingencies as the federal moratorium. The concern I have about the federal moratorium is that I have a staff of lawyers that work with me in the COVID uh, eviction relief project. And, and we struggle to get people set up so that they can get the benefit of the moratorium. I am fairly certain, I guess I should say, I am sure that tenants who aren't represented, who don't find their way to counsel, who don't find their way to, to legal services organizations, um, for one reason or another, that they're not getting the benefit of the moratorium and that their cases are proceeding. So I, I do think, I think it is extremely valuable for cities and towns to pass broader uh, moratoriums that apply to everyone um, without the limits of the CDC moratorium. And I'd be more than happy if there was a, an appetite for doing it in Medford to, to work with, uh, with, with folks to, to draft the appropriate moratorium and to and at the same time to work to, to make it so that it's less likely that the city could be successfully sued. Uh, I neglected to mention that until January, I worked at the uh, Attorney General's office for Attorney General Healy. And one of my jobs was helping to defend various uh, actions of the, of the governor. And I am convinced that emergency powers to protect public health are quite broad and, and so broad that the risk of meaningful and successful litigation against uh, a city or town for enacting a moratorium is, is, is very slim. Thank you, Mr. Klein. Um, Councilor Marks? I'm good, thank you. Councilor Falco? I'm good, thanks. All right, and, and I think that um, Mr. Klein really hit the nail on the head. And, and again, I'm, I'm not opposed to doing Know Your Rights. I think it's a great thing that we should be doing and having more education. I think Councillor Falco's notification ordinance, which I'm hoping to discuss in a couple of weeks, could be a, a key piece of that. Um, and eligibility requirements for the emergency rental assistance, I think that's great as well. But I, I really think this is about using all of the tools in our toolbox to the greatest extent possible. And one of those tools is uh, an ev local eviction moratorium. And I, I don't think I can say it more uh, accurately than Mr. Klein about the benefits here, but um, given the fact that 
you know, the litigation risk does seem relatively low, um, that many communities are implementing this and that they would apply, apply to all uh, residents without having to get into a, a difficult process where many people are, are not able to access the, the CDC moratorium. I think it's an imperative that we do this. I think seismic is actually the right word. You know, this has been a seismic hit to our community, to our country, and we need to respond as best as we can. And, and I think if we look at all the tools, there's ways we can improve all of them. I think education, we can improve the eligibility for emergency rental assistance, we can improve. And I think we can improve upon the CDC moratorium by taking a local action. So uh, I know that's been my opinion since the beginning of this, but, but I really think at this point, especially given the surge and that, you know, we're in for a year and, you know, the statistics we saw the other day about how many people are in Medford have difficulty paying for their housing, um, you know, rental or homeowner, how can we advance this and make sure we're using all the tools in our toolboxes is, is where I come down on this. Um, I do see Mr. Veneziano and I will recognize you. Name and address for the record, please. Ron Veneziano, 65 Crocker Road, Medford. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. I was invited by Councilor Mox to uh, come in and listen in. Uh, I always think that I can give a point of view because I do this for a living. You got uh, everybody here is on the po you know politics side of listening to those that are in need, but there are people that take advantage of the situation, and I think that's the problem. If you're going to do a fair policy, you have to make it fair. And I'll give you an example: the voucher program that they were offering for people that were out of jobs, in which the government gave $600 checks and then $1,400 checks should not have gone to everybody. Uh, I heard a gentleman on sports radio say when he got the money for $600, he invested in the Patriots football game and lost the money. And that makes me upset that that money could have went to somebody else who really needed it and it could have doubled their opportunity for money and for funding. So not everybody is in need of uh, money for rent. The fact that it's because rules and regulations become widespread people take advantage of the situation, not just in residential, but in commercial as well. I know people that have a lot of money that do not want to pay the rents for their retail space because they don't have to, so to speak. So what they have to do is the landlords have to work a deal where maybe can you pay 40%. We've lost some uh, people in the square because they can't really afford their rent. And then there are other times when they can, but they just don't want to pay. If you're in the real estate business, you'll see this because I sell multifamily homes and I have situations right now where we have people that want to sell their multifamilies, but the tenants don't want to leave. And they have the money and they have the jobs, but they're taking advantage of the fact that if they're not paying their rent for six months or 12 months, they're banking that money. So when the time comes, they can move to other locations because they're not going to be able to stay where they are because there's two, the landlords and the tenants aren't ups, get upset. For example, I've worked out an agreement with my uh, with uh, the restaurant with Mari Carroll. Mari Carroll does not pay the rent he's supposed to pay because Mari's a friend and I understand the situation. And the situation for him, he doesn't need to go to you folks to get a break. He came to me and I understand. But when it's being abused is what you should be preventing. If you make it fair for those that really need it, that do not have a job, they can't pay their rent, which means that you have to do some work. 
You just don't give everyone a pass. You need to evaluate each situation. And that's a lot of work. And I don't know if the city can handle that. But if I couldn't pay my rent and I couldn't pay the landlord, then that's one thing. But if I can, but I choose not to, what is the benefit? I should be evicted. So that's the argument. And this is the argument I have in the street because I do this for a living every day. So I'm just trying to let you know that if you have fear in the process and I'm being a landlord myself, I would never evict somebody. And I'm very fortunate in the two family I have in Medford in which my tenants pay the rent. And because they pay the rent, I don't even plan to increase their rent for a couple of years. But on the other hand, those that can't pay and don't pay, what do you do about that? Is that fair? So that's my, that's my take on it. It has to be a fair plan. Thank you, Mr. Veneziano. You're welcome. Uh, any of my fellow counselors would like to respond or? All set. All right, I, I would just like to add, you know, I do agree that there are people who, uh, any system can be abused. And I think we're seeing that on both ends here, right? We just heard from Mr. Klein that there are landlords who are trying to go around the CDC moratorium. So I do understand that. Um, I think, you know, we do have to look at the impact and, and the cost and, you know, and I do think that a family, you know, being on the street um, is, is a very high cost to pay. So I just want to you know, understand it's a balancing act, but I would like to think that most people on both sides of this are trying to work it out, you know, in the best interest of everybody involved. Um, but I think we do see that there are some exceptions, you know, you've mentioned a couple and we also have, you know, I believe there were at least 60 active cases of eviction right now in the city as well uh, on the non-payment of rent. So um, it, it is a balancing act. I, I do tend to, to fall on the side that, you know, we can work out financial issues over time. We can't work out if someone's on the street as quickly and easily. Um, that's my perspective on it. Uh, but I do want, I did hear you and, and I appreciate you, you speaking. Thank you. Mr. Chairman. Yes, Councilor Marks. I, I don't know if there's someone on the call tonight that uh, can distinguish for me between uh, the past state moratorium that ended, I believe uh, it was in what was it October October I believe 15th and the current federal moratorium what what was the difference and why isn't there more uh, from a standpoint from tenants wouldn't this be better to have something that's initiated statewide rather than town by town city by city I mean we, we uh, heard tonight uh, what is there a half dozen a dozen out of 350 cities and towns wouldn't this be better off as a state initiative? Um, and why isn't that being pursued? And what is the difference between the federal and the state moratorium? Does anyone have that info? Is there anyone who, who would like to volunteer? Mr. Klein. Uh, so Councilor Marks, I think that's a good question. I'm aware that there are efforts at the state level to reinstitute a moratorium. Uh, I don't know that they're making significant progress uh, I think what the governor decided was that the rental assistance program that's in place was sufficient. And um, I can tell you from experience, the rental assistance program, like the federal CDC moratorium, is working for some people, but not others. There's a lot of qualifications. There's 9,000 backlogged applications in eastern Massachusetts alone, probably many thousands more across the state. Um, there are cases that are being sent out of state for review 
and people are getting inconsistent and inappropriate determinations. So I don't think that, um, uh, well, I was the governor's counsel until very recently that I agree with the governor on this particular policy issue, that the, that the rental assistance is a substitute for a moratorium. Um, the difference between the state and the federal moratorium is that the federal mor uh, the state moratorium was more, more all encompassing. There simply were no evictions in Massachusetts uh, between when that moratorium was enacted and October 31st when it expired. Um, and so it was a stronger moratorium of the type that cities like Cambridge, Somerville, and Malden have, have uh, enacted at, at, the, at the community level. And, and the reason they're doing it is because it's just much more effective uh, and actually prevents evictions. Um, and, and that's why I recommend it for Massachusetts, uh, for Medford. And just, just so I can ask, and the reason why the state was effective with the no moratoriums was the fact that courts weren't hearing those cases, correct? Correct. The cases just weren't progressing through the system in that period. Right, right. So, so they, had, they had the ability to shut down the, the, the spigot, right, of where, where, where these cases would be heard. Um, so that, that's a pretty effective tool to have. Um, and, you know, in, in my opinion... You know, I'd like to see maybe our, uh, um, and, and I think, I don't know, Mr. Chairman, did we take a vote already as a council requesting our state delegation move forward? I thought we some months back. Um, yes. And I don't know if we ever got a response. Maybe the city clerk can uh, check through the records. Um, but I think we did uh, vote unanimously as a council to ask our state delegation to uh, get involved in this um, and reinstitute the statewide eviction moratorium, um, which I think would be far more beneficial than uh, this. You know, if we're really interested in helping people, I mean, Massachusetts is one city out of 350, and there's people everywhere struggling with this. Um, and I think that's uh, something that I'd be interested in trying to move forward. Thank you, Councilor Marks. Councilor Falco. Okay. Um, so just hearing what everybody said, I mean, at the end of the day, this power does rest with the mayor's office and what we are doing as a council or what I would hopefully like to see us do is to um, put our, put our voice in the, in the chorus and say, this is something that we think that the mayor should do. Um, that that's the extent of our power on the issue. Um, but I, I do think from what we've heard tonight, um, given the, the conditions economic and health wise in the community, that uh, we should ask the mayor to do this. Um, that is, again, that's my perspective as an individual counselor. Um, but but my moving forward specifically on this, and I do hear, uh, I have some other, some of the other stuff we've heard in this conversation, I think we should move forward on as well. Um, but specifically on the eviction moratorium, um, I would like to see us recommend to the council that, that we report this out favorably and ask the mayor to uh, take action on the eviction moratorium because I think it does seem we're having this conversation we've had it a few times now and you know we're hearing the same response about the legal concerns from the mayor's office um, and and I think if we come back in a few weeks the response likely will be the same again and, and we'll be where we are um, so that's my position um, I'd be interested in hearing from my fellow counselors about how they think we should move forward. If I could, Mr. Chair, as I stated a few weeks back, 
uh, I, I'm not much for symbolism. Uh, and I'll be quite honest with you. I, I like to see action. And uh, knowing that we've discussed this with the mayor, we've discussed it with the mayor several weeks back. Uh, I, I was hoping that we would be here discussing the frameworks of how this moratorium was going to work. But uh, the mayor feels comfortable uh, through uh, the chief of staff that the, the federal moratorium covers method residents and uh, that's their prerogative. I, I'm not sure what a symbolic vote does anything other than maybe making people feel warm and fuzzy. Um, and that's not my intent. That's not, it, it doesn't, uh, a symbolic vote doesn't put a roof over someone's head, food in their mouth and heat in their home. And, you know, I, I rather look at rental assistance I'd rather look at uh, what we can do to maybe expand the program. I'd rather look at outreach uh, to maybe uh, have residents more informed. A symbolic vote is a symbolic vote. And if that makes people at the end of the day feel like we accomplished something by asking the mayor in a, in a, in a more formal setting to please institute this, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe you know other people have a a difference of opinion. I, I just don't know where that gets us. Um, you know, so that, that's my, that's my opinion. Councillor Falco, if you want to go, I do have, I have thoughts on that. If you want to, if you want to, I can wait. If you want to respond back to the councillor, that's fine. I would just say, I, you know, I hear you. I hope that we can both hand strategy. Um, I, I think it's a little more than symbolism. I think it's saying we're the legislative body elected by the people of Medford. And while the mayor may not believe this is the action to take, we believe it's the action to take. And it is within the city, the city's power under the mayor's office. So that's just my position on it. I understand we won't implement it through our vote, but I think by us saying we support this, it might encourage the mayor to take the action in a way that having these conversations doesn't. And, and, and the mere fact that we've met how many times on this so far requesting that the mayor act, I, I think we've taken that step. Uh, however, if, if, it, if it takes uh, a symbolic vote, then, you know, so be it. But I, I just don't know where it brings us, to be quite honest with you. Um, I, I realize what you're saying, but it doesn't bring us any closer to accomplishing our goal. And i rather see things that, um, you know, we can work on to assist. You know, we're talking several dozen families um, or individuals. Um, and i rather work on things that, uh, we can actually do, uh, and maybe it is getting some more additional funding or, um, you know, uh, loosening up some of the eligibility requirements on the local level or looking at diversion. Uh, you know, we talk about rental assistance a lot. There are a lot of other programs uh, within the state that you know, people may not be aware of unless you're working within the system and know how to access. And that's why originally when we spoke about having a housing stability hotline, and kind of uh, coming from the administration saying, well, we have a hotline, a housing stability hotline and a hotline are two completely different things. You know, when someone calls a hotline about a broken sidewalk or they're calling about becoming homeless, are two completely different items and should be handled in two completely different fashions. So yeah, I still believe strongly that a housing stability hotline is something that we should be implementing uh, within our city. Um, and, and that's uh, maybe a topic for another time, but uh, we can't we can't use a hotline as an umbrella and then say we're shifting people in different directions. And then when you ask questions, 
well, has anyone followed these uh, residents that are calling up to see if there was any follow through? Uh, did this person actually get assistance? None of that takes place. None, none, of, none of that happens. And, and you know, there, there is no uh, diversion. There's no st uh, stabilization services. There's nothing to that end. And, you know, so, so there's a lot that we can do as a community um, that are more than symbolic gestures. And that's all I'm saying. I think, you know, if we want to get serious about this, we, we have to look at these steps. And, and they are steps in the process. Thank you. Thank you. Councillor Falco. Thank you, Councillor Bears, and thank you, Councillor Mark, and, and to everyone on the call. And um, so this is actually my first uh, meeting on the subcommittee. I've just been assigned to this committee as of the first of the year. And um, so I spent the last few days kind of going through the minutes from prior meetings and have got all the work that you've done. And I, and I thank you for, you know, kind of kicking off this discussion almost a year ago. And, uh, you know, as I read through, you know, there's a lot of good points in the minutes and a lot of things we're talking about tonight have been talked about before in the past. And, um, you know, and I think there is some stuff that we can do on the council. You know, I mean, last night I mentioned the uh, housing stability notification ordinance. And I think that is, you know, would be beneficial to, you know, uh, tenants and knowing their rights. And I think education is a big part and something that we need to work on. Um, and, uh, and hopefully we'll meet in that soon and develop that ordinance and pass that as soon as possible since it's needed now more than ever. Um, but when I look at this issue, I feel like, um, you know, I feel like we're, we're a little bit limited as to what we can do because, you know, I, I feel like most of the power here lies with the mayor. And, you know, the question I asked earlier was plain and simple, you know, pretty straightforward and that's that you know is the mayor going to basically you know not take any action on this until you know as long as there's a federal moratorium in place and I, and I strongly feel that that's probably going to be the case and I know I, I'm not speaking on behalf of the administration and I can't do that but but I feel like that no action is going to be taken and we can take action tonight vote this through and of course it's going to have to go to committee the whole which will take a while to get there anyway because i know that calendar is pretty booked on the committee the whole side but with that being said you know if we take action it gets through to uh you know committee the whole and then the committee the whole will debate it and vote it out to the floor and then we'll take a formal vote at that point you know it, it, it doesn't really force the mayor to do anything she still has to be willing to do it so i feel like in some ways, you know, it could stay here in, in committee and I'm not sure if anything's going to happen. We can vote it out and there's no guarantee anything's going to happen there. But I feel like at this point, I'm not really sure if it stays in committee. There's much more that we can do with this specific request. So I think at this point, it might be best just to vote it out, send it to the council, and then we can debate it from there with all our councillors and get their take on the matter as well. Thank you, Councillor Falco. Uh, before you. I respond, Councillor Marks, do you have anything? Oh. All right. Um, I mean, I tend to agree with you. I think we've, on this specific issue, on the, mor the moratorium and our request to the mayor's office, that it would be beneficial for us to report it out and have broader discussion. You know, I hear what you're saying, Councillor Marks. I think to an extent, because we don't have the power, you're right. You know, we can't enforce this. We can't enable it ourselves. But I do think we can take a stand and we can say this is something we support. And, and to your point on the hotline, 
you know, we, we discussed that at the previous meeting and we were so we have a hotline, but it's not the housing stability hotline. We can't force the Office of Community Development to put in a housing stability hotline. But I personally would be happy reporting out to the council that it is our priority and that we we stand on it that way. So that's kind of how I'm I'm coming out on it. Um, so so I would I would agree with Councillor Falco um, to 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 report it out, have further discussion with the full council um, and then see where we go from there. Uh, that, that's my my position. Um, and I do see Miss Rodriguez has his hand up, so I'm happy to unmute him. I was just going to uh, see if I could hook up with, with Mr. Klein a little bit, because uh, I would certainly like to sit down with him and get his perspective. And uh, as we do move forward in the event that we do have to move towards towards an order, finding that narrow, balanced order that we can that we can work with is, I think, is going to be important. And I think he's, he's got a very important voice to add to that conversation. So if you if you want to reach out, I can reach out to you. I'd love to sit down and talk a little bit further and we can, you know, geek out over land use policy. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Rodriguez. And I think, again, that's a good outcome here of this meeting, yeah. making that connection. Hopefully that can advance the ball. So, um, you know, we, we are, we are doing something and, and hopefully moving the ball forward. I see Alicia Hunt. So I wasn't sure if I should wait to fully move to some of the other things that you were just talking about action items um, to sort of discuss what some of those things are and where things stand and what we're doing and what's on the radar. I, I think we wanted to discuss it first. Let's, I think let's dispose of this specific and then we can have a discussion on the next steps on, I have about five or six things that I've written down here um, that I think are very important to move forward on. Okay. So, so specifically on, on paper 2302, um, is there a motion? Oh, I'm seeing Mr. Klein, go ahead, Mr. Klein. I'm very sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt the meeting to say this, but I did send my contact information to Clerk and he's free to share it um, for referrals or for further discussions um, if there if there is any taste to to work towards a moratorium. Thank you. Um, is there a motion on the floor specifically on on paper twenty dash three hundred two? Yes, that's that's the uh, I totally yes. say the right one. We should discuss yes. them both. So, uh, yes, so I would uh, move, move uh, approval to uh, send this out to uh, um, committee the whole for further discussion. I would second that. Is there any any further discussion, Councillor Marks? No. What was the motion again? Just to report the paper, to report the, I'm sorry, to report the paper out to committee the whole for further discussion. And actually, I should say, because technically is this, um, hmm. yeah, so I would say, uh, yeah, so do we want to report it out for further discussion or we, uh, I, think, I think we should be very general with the statement and report it out. To be quite frank, it was reported in this way. You know, with all due respect, the committee had meetings, but we didn't go anywhere with these meetings. So I'm not quite sure what we're reporting back out, uh, other than the paper that was reported in. But yeah. you know, I'd, I mean, I, I'd be in favor of reporting it back out for discussion, uh, and that's what I would support. 
Council of Beers, are you agreeable to that or? That, that's fine with me. Um, I okay. think that's where we are. You know, I, I personally would like to report it out favorably, but understanding, I think it'd be better if we all agreed. So I think reporting it out for further discussion, um, and this is specifically on the 20-302, so just on the request to the mayor to okay. implement an and eviction that, moratorium. I want to make sure you the right thing, because I, I mean, I'm fine with reporting out favorably, but if you feel that it's just reporting it out for further discussion, I'm fine with that as well, because I think the other councilors I know would definitely want to weigh in on this, and I, I know uh, I'm sure it'll be very, a very opinionated debate, so... So, so, yeah, motion to report it out, uh, 20-302 for further discussion, um, and I second that motion. Uh, Mr. Clark, if you could please call the roll. Councilor Falco. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. Chairman Barris. Yes. All right. Thank you. Um, thanks for the discussion, and there will be more discussion. Um, and hopefully not just by the council, but also Mr. Klein, Mr. Rodriguez and, and the Office of Community Development and, and Solicitor Scanlon. Um, so, you know, we, we have two more things to look at now. I think we just had a discussion on, um, or we just had through that discussion came up with a few points of, of action. And then I also do want to get to discussing the task force draft that uh, Solicitor Scanlon wrote up for us. Um, so just if, Alicia, if you want to go now on, on some of the educational piece uh, around housing stability? Sure. So on the educational piece, um, some of our staff met with, um, oh, I blanked on her name from the state on Monday. And um, Jackie Peaks also did and got a bunch of information on a Know Your Rights campaign. And Jackie and I and Danielle are planning to work on that as soon as possible. Unfortunately, if you're aware that the city put out a lot of vaccination information this week and Jackie was focused on that, this comes next. Um, so we'll be looking at the information that Summer, sorry, Marlena um, provided us. She works, Marlene, she works for the state and has been helping Boston and Cambridge, Boston and Somerville with their Know Your Rights campaigns. Um, so our intention um, is to be moving those forward Jackie's also been uh, looking at reorganizing our housing webpage. We have one page right now that's listed under COVID. It is our goal to then eventually make that a permanent housing information page for the city. I am very hesitant to make two separate pages that we are maintaining that would have very similar information um, on it. So one of the areas that um, Jackie has mentioned to us that we are really lacking in though is information for people who are homeless and how to get into the home, like how to get help with that. So if there are recommendations on where we should be pointing um, people with that, um, we definitely are particularly interested in that because we see that as a gap on the webpage. Um, and I had some other things, primarily around the fact that um, when people do call the OCD phone line, that's staff during business hours. And we're able to answer that and help people directly in English, Spanish, and Italian. Um, we do now have experience using the language translation services that the city uses. And we have been using that to communicate with a few people in other languages. We, the volume of calls that we're getting is low enough that when we refer 
residents to particular services. And we refer them based on what, what their needs are. Do they need rent? Do they need legal services? Do they need food services? They go, we send them to different places. Um, Lorena does uh, follow up with them a few days later to make sure that the referral, that, that they connected, that that was a useful referral for them. Um, so we are actually able to do that because the volume that's coming in is frankly low enough that it's not a problem. Um, and I had some stuff that I would talk about the rent program that we have, but um, why don't I leave it there so you can talk about education first. Thanks, Alicia. Um, does anyone have any, any of my fellow counselors have any questions on the education and notification piece of this? I'm all set. Thank you. Okay. Um, I think uh, just for uh, for our piece of this, um, I'm hoping that in a, in a couple of weeks we'll be able to schedule a meeting around Councillor Falco's Housing Stability Notification Ordinance, which could help uh, significantly boost how we're getting this information out to residents. Um, so I think that's the next step we can take on education. Um, I, I, you know, I wasn't able to make the call last week, but I did talk to Alicia. Actually, Danielle, if you have to drop off right now, can I ask you one quick question? Um, sorry to jump to this topic, but um, on the eligibility requirements for emergency rental assistance that Councillor Marks brought up, uh, what are you seeing as uh, some of the ways that we might be able to expand that to reach some of these families in need who haven't been able to uh, access the funds? Um, are you, um, thank you, um, Council Bears. Are you talking about um, um, tenants who aren't aware of the program or are being screened out? Uh, people uh, who have applied for the ABCD Malden program, I believe this is what Councilor Marks was saying, but who have been found not to be eligible. Um, um, I think um, some of the, some of them are being screened out because they're not in arrears. Um, that I have, it was just two that were not in arrears. So um, I need to talk to Ann Corbin, who's running this program, to um, get a handle on um, why that's a, a criterion. Um, and it may be, maybe they're determining that there's not actually a need there because they're current on their rent. But I would like to see that if they are indeed, um, you know, their income is affected by COVID and they're maybe diverting other funds to pay their rent, but maybe are not buying food or maybe aren't paying their medical bills. Um, I'd, I'd like to get an understanding of why someone who's current on their rent, but is very precarious scraping it together um, for the next month. I, I'd, I'd probably like to see those people included um, and another reason that some are getting screened out is because the landlord is refusing to participate. And I would actually like to get a better understanding um, from the attorney general's office because uh, it's a fair housing violation to um, discriminate basis based on the source of your funds of how you pay your rent. So, you know, you hear about that mostly with like section eight vouchers landlords saying that we're not going to accept that but that's a fair housing violation you can't discriminate based on your source of income and i did see a tweet from a from the attorney general saying that perhaps this is a violation um but i i'm not sure if that has been determined or not 
Because if we're having landlords who are turning that down, then I think that we need to, um, you know, have an edu you know, educate them that they actually shouldn't be doing that. But again, I need to get an legal opinion on that. Got it. Uh, Council Marks, this was your, your thought. So I do want to give you a chance if you have any questions before Daniel has to leave. No, I, I think she's on the right track. Um, you know, most, uh, in my opinion, we, we have a program called Home Base that we work with homeless families and they're eligible for up to $10,000 uh, for one year. And uh, many landlords are hesitant on taking the home base because they realize well, it's not a subsidy, but the one year worth of 10,000, that it's only for the one year. And then after that, if the family doesn't improve their income or their status, uh, you know, most likely the landlord's gonna end up taking them to court to try to evict them if they can't pay. So a lot of landlords know about the program, won't come out directly and say, we won't take you because you're accepting home base, but that sometimes is the hidden cause while accepting families. And it's probably uh, on the same, uh, what you said about section eight and so forth. And you know some of it's educating, like you said, the landlords uh, to let them know about the program, how it works um, and you know uh, ways that they could um, accept these families and also safeguard, you know, themselves because, uh, you know, many of them probably, you know, have mortgages and so forth and are paying banks off and, uh, you know, need to uh, make sure they have a steady income there. Um, so it's a balancing act. But, but if you could check into what you mentioned about uh, families, I can't remember the exact, I know there was a number of families that were outside of city limits that weren't uh, being accepted. And that was part of our criteria anyways, and I'm not a, you know, I, I want to make sure it's method families, but I also remember someone from the agency stating that uh, I guess there was some other income or some other eligibility requirements that, uh, you know, uh, maybe put families aside. And if that's something that we can address, um, you know, I'd like to that happen. Great. Thank, thank you, Councilor Marks. I know you got to run, Danielle. I will put you on the invitation for our next meeting. And hopefully we can okay. get get an update from you and, and take action. Thank you. Thank you. I've got to go start the CPC meeting. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Have a nice. See you night. Bye. Um, so <clears throat> that was my one of my next things. I think also, Mr. Clerk, if you could um, reach out to the state delegation to see if, if there's any response to our, our resolution around the Housing uh, Stability Act that we sent last fall. The yeah, state I'll, the legislation. I'll, I'll look into all that. Yes, yes, sir. Thank you. Um, is there anything else on my list here? Um, I do know you mentioned the diversion program, Councillor Marks. Do you want to talk about that anymore right now, or or put it on as an action item for our next meeting? Pro probably an action item as as well as uh, stabilization services. You know, uh, it, it's great to assist and uh, provide families with money but it's also incumbent upon us to make sure that these families are stabilized much longer and far out than from what the appropriation is meant for. Um, and, and that goes hand in hand. And that's, that's an important tool to keep families uh, housed. You know, so I, I think the housing stabilization uh, should be added to that diversion. Great. I will make sure that that's in the notice for our next meeting. Um, so that leaves us, I think, enough time to discuss 
the draft framework for a housing stability task force uh, from Solicitor Scanlon. Um, so I will unmute you now, uh, Solicitor, and could you give us a, a summary of the document that you provided? Well, thank you, Council. This um, I have, so as stated in my uh, draft, I thoroughly researched this topic, and I have not found another community that has established a task force by way of ordinance. Um, and the communities that I have uh, identified, uh, task force has been implemented by way of an ad hoc basis or administratively. For example, there was an ad hoc working group that was formed in Medford over the summer, which uh, Alicia Hunt and I had discussed um, during the previous conversation earlier today. So I'll defer to her on any updates that have occurred since with that particular group. Um, I know there was a round table discussion that Councilor Marx had referred to earlier as well um, that occurred last week. And there were, you know, housing advocates and the like that were in attendance. So it was a, a good meeting is my understanding. Um, in Cambridge, there was a task force committee established administratively in 2019, but it should be noted that in communities such as Cambridge, Boston, and Somerville, there are communities that have already established a, an office of housing instability. So it's a little bit easier for them to reach out and, and use these tools and these avenues and create you know, task forces and the like, because they already have an office set up. And of course, as we know, an office would require a lot of money on behalf of each community in order to implement and to run and, and the like. Having said that, here's the draft um, that I had provided to you, which is you know a, a simple draft outline with considerations, a number of considerations, such as choosing members, um, the term limits, you know, the number of members, simple things that we've gone through throughout our previous ordinances and the draftings thereof. So um, if you have any questions or if you if, if you have any, you know, draft ordinances that you'd like to provide to me, I'm happy to review legally or if you'd like to uh, schedule a follow-up meeting and discuss, I'm, I'm happy to attend, whatever the council prefers. Thank you. Kim. Um, so that's kind of, I think, it, where where I wanted to go with the conversation um, is, you know, there, there are a few different ways that we could approach this. Um, obviously, we could, the intent of my initial uh, resolution was that we establish a, a committee or a task force by ordinance. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I appreciate the extensive research you have there that that would be kind of a novel approach. I don't necessarily think that novelty is a bad thing, but I do think that we should also learn from experience. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and, and I also wanted to, I'm glad Director Hunt is here because I know that there is a, a group that, you know, met last week for the first time that is kind of a looking at some of these issues in a similar way. Um, it's a little less formal. Um, so, uh, you know, my thoughts are that we could move forward um, with establishing something by ordinance. We could move forward by uh, asking that something be established by policy, um, or we could you know, move forward with the more ad hoc approach that the community development office has taken. I'm interested to hear what my fellow counselors think, and then we can have a, a discussion about how we move forward on this. If, if I'm, Council Bears? Yes. Council so uh, if I may, through you to uh, City Solicitor Scanlon, um, I believe you mentioned in here that, um, did you say that it was uh, sometimes if you do it through um, ordinance that it's a bit rigid. Yes, um, it, it, well, it's, it, it, logically speaking, it's had to change, right? Once an ordinance is implemented, as you know, 
you have to go through changes if you ever want to amend it and the, the yeah. changes take time exactly okay no i mean i mean i do like flexibility but you know mm -hmm. so that's why i just kind of asked that question um sure. uh, thank you awesome. so mr chair council marks yes just so I can understand then, uh, because the original request was uh, asking the mayor's office to create uh, a task force. And, uh, you know, this current administration has created a number of uh, task force, transition committees. Um, what is the resistance to creating uh, this task force? Is that is that to me or? Uh, to the, to uh, Dave. Uh, Mr. Rodriguez, and I do see Director Hunt with her. I, I see Alicia's hand up. I'll defer to her on this uh, to answer the question before I add something in. So I guess it's less of a direct answer. And honestly, it's more of a question that I had is what would be the goals and the task? Like what would the task force be asked to do? Because I, I and I say that because the staff has been working on outreach and communications. Um, so that's sort of one piece of it. Um, and my main reluctance to having a by ordinance task force is because I think there are so many people that should be contributing to this that to nail it down and say one representative of this type and one representative like this um, could make it too narrow. We had 20 people on Thursday. Um, and I think that if we really publicize, we, we would get more input. So I just, I sort of want to understand what it would be that the task force would be doing. Um, the intent of my resolution, <clears throat> excuse me, um, initially over a year ago was um, uh, largely on the information and guidance around housing resources and assistance. I do think given what's happened over the last year, and I think some of the changes at community development department and some of the meetings that we've been having, um, I think it would be a forum for a, that piece of it, that there would be a, a group of people who are focused on this issue at all times, making sure that we have the most up-to-date information, making sure that we're improving our systems when we see issues. But I, I do think also, you know, it would be uh, good to have a body that could suggest, um, you know, extra steps that could be taken, additional policy steps that could be taken around housing stability. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if such a task force were to come together, they might recommend that we do create an office of housing stability, right? Um, so um, a group that could look at the issues of housing instability in our community, uh, improve the systems we have to respond to it now and recommend new systems to address the issue. That, that's my intent. Um, that, that's my intent at this time. And that's actually, it's, it's really helpful because I was trying to sort of picture what would be different from what the staff is doing. Cause there are a lot of really amazing, I, I have to tell you, I did not know that Mr. Klein did in Medford, but we, we have made a note of that. Um, but as you know, there, there are a lot of experts in this field who live here in the city that we have been trying to tap into and, and hear from as we become aware of their yeah, just to hop on, hop on Alicia's point there, I don't think there is a resistance per se to creating the task force because of the work that's already been 
underway. Um, if we want to get put our heads together and put a charge together for to come to more formalize what's being done, um, there's absolutely no resistance to doing that. Um, so we're happy to sit down if we want to create that together, work work on that charge for the for the task force together where we all have input. Um, entirely open to doing that. And I actually I already emailed I already emailed Gary Klein and try to get him more involved in those those conversations. So. Yeah, that's a, certainly enough of the time. So, Mr. Chair, I, I, I will. Sorry, that's I would say that my one oh, other re reluctance was simply actually that in working on the housing production plan, we have had a working group meeting, and the people who are on that would all be people who would immediately come to mind as the right people, and to as some of the right people, right? Um, they representing. Um, the various perspectives in the city and some of the resources and to be asking them to be on yet another group while they were actively working on goals and strategies for the housing production plan seemed a little overwhelming to me if their goal was to be long-term because housing production plan is long-term affordable housing stability. For the short-term urgent things, that's, that's kind of a different conversation. And we did meet over the summer we did take a good break on that. Um, it, it does make sense to start meeting again about urgent needs. So, Mr. Chair, Council so, Mark. So, I, I would prefer that avenue uh, rather than the creation of an ordinance. Uh, if we do have existing working groups, as Alicia just alluded to, uh, Dave mentioned that there's a willingness. I, I this paper back in April was sent to the administration. Uh, asking that they create a task force uh, as an administrative uh, function, and that was denied. I may be mistaken, but I thought that's what happened, and that's what led to, okay, we'll have to go via ordinance. Um, and anyone can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so that was my understanding. I prefer uh, using these particular working groups, and uh, there's much more flexibility. I understand by ordinance uh, we don't have to worry year after year if the administration changes that uh, we may lose these working groups uh, may go by the wayside as well. So I realize the, uh, you know, the reason why you may want to create an ordinance, but I don't think there's a need to create one on this. Uh, I think we have enough uh, functioning groups and, and people that are interested. And I think we can move forward with a task force uh, that makes sense to address the issues like you mentioned about assistance and, and uh, gathering information and so forth. And uh, so I, I would support that avenue. Thank you. Councilor Bears. Yes, Councilor Falco. Thank you, Councilor Bears. And, and I, I, would, uh, I would agree with my uh, council colleague, Councilor Marks. I, I uh, believe that this doesn't necessarily have to be an ordinance. Um, I think a task force is fine. It's great to see that there are so many people that are inter interested in this issue and willing to serve. So I think a task force is probably best. Yeah, and, and I hear that, and and that's kind of why I framed it the way I did. Um, just because, uh, and sorry to to make you do do the research, Kim. And no, you're also. not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's okay. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, but but I do think there there is some room uh, with the existing group. I know it's only met once um, for a little bit more formality in the sense of I do think you know. They should be public meetings that, that are advertised that people can attend. Um, and probably there should be 
something on the city website about this organization, perhaps as part of boards and commissions. I know there are groups that are established by administrative policy that are listed there. Um, so I, I would like to see a little bit more of that. And I think it seems like there's a willingness to have that conversation uh, with us. I do think Kim's research actually could come in handy there, handy there um, in terms of, you know, we could, we could say, we could have a charge, right? As Alicia asked, what is the group doing? Um, and post that this is what this, this task force does. This is the, the, you know, these are our public meetings. Um, so, so I would like to see a little bit more there. And I think that could be a good way to meet in the middle to have flexibility, but also make sure that people know that this body exists and that they could be a part of it, attend meetings um, and, and uh, the like. So I did see Councillor Falco's hand. Uh, thank you, Councilor Pierce, and, and I agree with you 100% on that. I think that this year should be, um, you know, uh, well-publicized, you know, public meetings. People should know about it, uh, you know, minutes taken, that type of thing. I, mean, I do think that there should be some structure to it and, uh, you know, it should be transparent. People should know when the meetings are and that type of thing. So, um, like I said, I don't think it needs to be done through ordinance, but I do definitely think that, you know, it should be, you know, very transparent as to what's going on, what this group's doing, you know, who's on it and, um, you know, and their, their meetings publicized. So yeah, I agree hundred percent with you there. Thank you. Thank you. And, and, you know, Director Hunt, I don't know, um, something that came to mind for me was the Energy and Environment Committee. Uh, as potentially a, a type of model. I do know that that's pretty open. New members can join. And um, do you think that that might be too formal or? Um... So the energy committee, all the members are appointed. They all get appointment letters and they're sworn okay. in um, and asked to do like the conflict of interest form. Um, we encourage people to attend the meeting. And when we hear from people who are interested in joining, we usually suggest that they wanna start, start coming to meetings and then fill out the interest form and submit it to the mayor. Um, we're actually um, looking at appointing a few more members right now, um, but it's a large group. And so I like to think of our boards and commissions as two types. There are the ones that have hearings and have to make official decisions on like permits. And there's a strong argument for keeping them relatively speaking small. Right now they range from like three to seven for the most part. And you really want to have people on them who have knowledge of the topic so that when they are making legal decisions, that they have some basis for that. Um, and then we have groups like the Bicycle Commission and the Energy Environment Group that um, are actually much larger, usually 10 plus the Energy Committee has been as large as 13 members because they are not about making decisions so much as providing advice running programs, doing outreach, sort of being a, a source of just general knowledge when you don't ever really need, like they vote on their minutes and when the whole meetings. So when you don't ever really need come to, to consensus on things, the bigger, the better, because you have more people to draw from. Uh, the one caveat is that because the members are legally appointed, occasionally we have trouble making quorum because there's, you know, I don't have, you know, a hearing. I don't have something I have to be there to vote on. Um, and so we've actually run into that a little. And, and we've occasionally had to suggest to members that it's time to step off because they don't come regularly. And it's not that we don't want them to come once in a while. It's that we don't have legal quorum and can't hold the meeting. That becomes problematic um, when you have a legal appointed body. I just sort of put that there for your... 
Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, Councilor Marks, Councilor Falco, anything to add? Um, so my thoughts here on a next step uh, would be, um, and, and I think it's up, up to to you guys really, uh, what you think my best with the group that's already meeting. Um, but uh, for, you know, Dave and Alicia to sit down and kind of outline what you, you know, some of the more formal stuff that so that we can make sure this is in the right spot. Um, maybe even have a discussion about that with the, the group that's meeting. Um, I think their input would be really valuable. Um, and then maybe we can come back at a future meeting and, and just look at what you've put together and make sure that it, it meets all the, um, the criteria that we had. Um, and we can, you know, move up, move forward from there. Does that sound amenable to everybody here? Yeah. I will tell you that I had been thinking about when to hold um, a next meeting of that group. And I had considered next week. It is um, school vacation week, which probably means a lot less right now than it normally would. Um, but we are holding a large, hopefully large public open space meeting on Wednesday that is going to be a big meeting of mine and they have a set, and I have traffic mission Tuesday night so to do a third meeting that is that big um, seems problematic to me um, and Danielle's technically on vacation um, so I was then looking at February 25th to um, suggest I put out probably oh Jesus Thursday tomorrow or month or Tuesday that we would meet again Thursday the 25th um, and to circulate the notes from our previous um, meeting. And frankly, this one, we'll post it, we'll post an agenda, we'll post a, um, that it's a public meeting for people to come, start to work through some of these things. My instinct, and I'd be happy to discuss this further offline later, is to hold two or three meetings that are just generally open, generally have it, and see sort of what shakes out of that. And if we come to a point where we say, you know what, let's appoint people. Let's hear the people who are really, we'd like to have here. Or we may say, we don't wanna cut, make anybody feel like they're not welcome to really come and participate. Um, I, I think I'd like to give it like another meeting or two before making a very cut and dry decision on it. Since it seemed to work. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the outcomes here, no matter what, is we can say that this group is meeting. You know, there is a group meeting on this and addressing the initial purpose of the uh, of the resolution um, and, and of our previous meetings. Um, and then I, I would be fine um, keeping this paper in committee, you know, having the group meet, you know, work through a few meetings and then coming back and having the discussion at that point uh, when we have more information. I do think this subcommittee, we've been meeting a lot, but we have more meetings ahead. <laughs> um, on on a few of the issues we just outlined so i expect that we will be available to to meet when uh after the process of, of setting up the working group and having a few meetings has has shaken out does that sound fine to uh, my fellow counselors right so so just if i could mr chairman yes um so uh, are we looking at uh potentially having monthly meetings with this task force establish monthly meetings I just want to be able to give Alicia some guidance. Uh, you know, if she's going to have two meetings with this group, uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions of, you know, if I'm going to join a group, that's the first thing I ask. How often do you meet? When do you meet? You know, there's, there's a lot of basic questions. 
So I just want to make sure that we're given some guidance um, uh, on the subject. And, uh, you know, I, I think if we are going to establish a housing task force, I would say it has to be at least monthly meetings, you know, once a month. Um, and that might not even be enough. But um, I, I think it's such an important subject that if you go too many months, uh, you, you're not going to be able to accomplish anything. Um, so so that, that would be my, my opinion. You know, the size of the group, the working group, I think if you open it to the public, you really can't control the size. I think it'll control itself over time. People that are active and involved will stay involved with it. Um, you know, so that's, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Councilor Marks. I would be happy or to suggest a, a language of a, a motion that, um, that our subcommittee requests that uh, uh, any um, task force created by the administration would meet public, have publicly posted meetings, uh, that the, the group would be listed on the city website, and that the group would meet at least once per month. Um, I don't it's know. Take, if, if, if I may, is group taking minutes? I'm writing these. They have to. Yeah. yeah, they have to. Okay, that's just gonna say. I just, oh, exactly. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. The group would be subject to the open meeting law, so all those provisions would apply. So we, okay. we abide by all that stuff. Only a specific task force that's appointed for a particular reason, like to advise the mayor for a specific purpose, is not subject to the open meeting law this week. This is open, so it will be subject to, to the law. Perfect. Th Dave, thank you very much. I just want to make sure that we're kind of doing everything we should be doing. <laughs> Mr. Chairman, my Zoomling has been going in and out a little bit. Can you can you repeat your motion? I, I have that you have moved to request that any task force created by the administration be listed publicly and then immediately at least monthly, but it, it kicked out a little bit in the middle of your... Uh, in the yes. Uh, the three things were that the meetings be publicly posted, that the task force be listed somewhere on the city website, and that the group meet at least once a month. Yeah. Okay. And, and I would assume once the group gets together, they'll create their own um, guidelines and th their own rules and regs, uh, how they operate. You know, if they have a, a you know, co-chairs or whatever it might be, uh, you know, someone to chair the meeting, someone to take minutes, um, like any other established board or commission. Yeah. And we my thoughts certainly, were, sorry, go ahead. I'd say we certainly um, can provide uh staff to take minutes, graduate interns to, to do stuff like that. I, I have Amanda who calls very interested in housing issues. Um, so that that's not a concern for us. Um, yeah. And I think at least monthly, um, the February 25th would mean that it was just, it was actually every, was three weeks apart. But my instinct is that right now there's urgency. And we need to meet frequently and get some stuff done and not wait. Some of my concerns with boards that meet monthly is that it's so far apart that if they're action-oriented boards, it takes a very, very long time to get anything done. Um, and so meeting a little more frequently for action-oriented is good. At the point where it's just advisory and you're working on long-term efforts, monthly is fine to not burn people out. Alicia, if it's any indication of the laundry list that was created last week, you guys have a lot of work ahead of you already. <laughs> right. That, that was a that was a pretty ambitious list that was put up. Let me tell you. And I will say that we have every we are working to look to fund um, Danielle through CD 
her housing planner time is funded through CDBG. I mean, one of the very first things that when I started in this role was I said, we need a housing planner. I identified that we had somebody in City Hall who used to be a housing planner. And I said, do you want to work with us? And we, we got CDBG funds to, to start paying for that. And my big concern is backfilling her work as CPA so that she could take on more housing planning work. Very interested in seeing that move forward. Um, because it's great to have volunteers to do stuff, but you can't really rely on volunteers the way you can rely on staff. Great. Any further questions or discussion? Mr. Chairman, you have a motion on the floor. Yes. Could you read back the motion? Chairman Bears moved to request that any task force created by the administration be listed, uh, be, be publicly posted on the website, on the city website, that the meeting, uh, I'm sorry, that, the, that any task force created by the administration be listed publicly on the city website that the meetings be publicly posted and then it meet at least monthly. Yeah, that's my motion. And, and if we could just add, if they promulgate their own rules and regs, uh, I think that would be helpful as well. Yep. Okay, hang on. Council Mark, can you can we back what you um, and and that if they promulgate that and that the, the task force promulgated its own rules and regulations? Correct. <clears throat> okay, I got it. Great. Uh, is there a second? Second. On the motion, uh, my motion, uh, as amended by Councillor Marks and seconded by Councillor Falco, Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. Councillor Falco. Yes. Councillor Marks. Yes. Chairman Bears. Yes. Um, I would like to move that we keep the, the 2 0 300 committee and then we can come back and after there are a few meetings, after maybe some rules and regulations are promulgated, just in case we want to discuss it again. Um, Which paper? Except, Which that's paper? the. 20-300. Okay, thank you. Is that fine with everyone? I would be. All right, uh, is there a second? Second. Thank you. Mr. Clerk, on my motion seconded by Councillor Marks, please call the roll. Second. Sure. Councilor Falco. Yes. Council Marks. Yes. Chairman Bears. Yes. Um, I think that's all the business before us. Is there a motion on the floor? Motion to adjourn, Mr. Chairman. Second. Uh, on the motion to adjourn by Councilor Marks, seconded by Councilor Falco. Mr. Clerk, when you're ready, please call the roll. This is fun, being the chair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is to adjourn. Uh, Councilor Falco. Yes. Councilor Marks. Yes. 
Thank you. Chairman Bears. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for a great meeting, everyone. Good night. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Good night. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.